Exodus chapter 3, and uh, we're going to start at verse 1. And while you find that, it's in your Old Testament, second book of the Bible. I want to welcome all the pastors who are here this morning. Pastor Jesse Berthold is here. We welcome him once again, Pastor De Leon and Pastor Faragosa, Pastor Tafoya. We welcome you guys, and uh, we're so glad Pastor Anthony is here with us also. Uh, always a Pastor Marquez, I see back here now. Always a blessing to be able to have uh, pastors in, uh, in the house. Kingsway Church wants to be able to uh, invest in all of your lives throughout this conference and be able to uh, give you a place to receive what God wants to say to your heart. How many of you came with an open heart to hear what God has to say? Amen. Amen. I believe the Lord wants to speak to us and uh, has begun to do so already. If you didn't uh, make it last night, go online and watch that message, all right? It was uh, an on-time word, and I know it's going to be a blessing to you. Uh, the conference this year, we have given the theme of Feed My Sheep, and uh, I was thinking about that as I, as I prayed about it and felt like that was the direction the Lord was leading us. I said, Lord, that's about the old-fashionedest kind of conference theme you could come up with, right? Nowadays, we have fun, one-word conference themes. And uh, feeding my sheep is, is real old-fashioned. But uh, there's a message here that God wants for us to hear. And uh, I believe that he is uh, calling us to his heart. You see, God's heart is people. God's heart is the flock. And uh, so this theme, of course, uh, comes from the words of Jesus to the apostle uh, who would become the apostle Peter. And uh, those words were given to Peter at a moment of great failure in the life of Peter. Uh, but I have a little harder time as a pastor and a, ch a church leader co comparing myself or relating to Jesus because Jesus is perfect, right? So it's easier for me to get connected with Moses because Moses was a, a failure. And so uh, it's easier to connect with people that are like us. So this morning I want us to go uh, to the ministry of Moses before we talk about Jesus because Moses has a lot that you and I can learn from, and uh, he was a shepherd. You will recall that he was a pastor to probably two million people in the wilderness. And that is the pastorate to have, isn't it? No church, no church office, uh, two million grumpy, frustrated Hebrews in the wilderness. And yet God used that man in an extraordinary way to bring about the historic deliverance of the nation of Israel and uh, to bring them just to the very edge of the promised land. And so I want us to read as we see the beginning of his ministry right here in Exodus chapter 3. It says, Now Moses was pastoring the flock of Jethro his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Oreb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight while the why the bush is not burned up. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the opportunity to be in the house of prayer. I pray now that you would anoint my lips of clay to teach the word of the living God. 
And I ask you to anoint the hearing of all of those who've gathered in this room this morning, that we might hear your word and put it into practice, into our life. I ask you, Lord, to give us application to every one of our ministries and lives for the glory of your name in our generation. We ask that in Jesus' name. Can everybody say amen? Amen. Just like the passage that I referred to where Jesus is talking to Peter and he says, feed my sheep, that passage was in the context of failure. Well, Exodus chapter 3 is also given to us in the context of failure. And uh, before I go on, if you need something to take notes on, just lift your hands. One of the ushers will bring you a, a notebook if you like. Uh, because as uh, we, we mentioned last night, you want to remember some of these things. And uh, there are going to be some principles shared throughout the day that you're going to want to write down. Pastor Jonathan, Pastor Berthold, uh, Pastor Finday will, uh, will give us a lot of inf- insight that it's harder to f- uh, remember all that. But if you keep it d- written down, you can refer to it later. So Moses is in, Exodus chapter 3 is in the context of failure in the life of Moses. If you read chapter 2 of Exodus, you'll remember and discover that Moses had attempted to start a deliverance ministry. And uh, it's uh, interesting that even before he was genuinely called by God into ministry, Moses already sensed that he was a deliverer. He sensed a call, a a purpose on his life to to help the Hebrew people of whom he was one. And yet in the attempt uh, to deliver an Israelite from the hands, or a Hebrew from the hands of the Egyptians, the Bible says that Moses committed manslaughter. And uh, I I know that everybody in here, whether you're a pastor or a church leader or a volunteer or staff member in church, we all have a ministry. And none of us want to start our ministry with manslaughter, all right? That's not how you want to start your resume. But that's where Moses begins. And there's a principle that emerges emerges right there in the text that any time you try to do God's work in your own power, you are going to fail. There is no ability in man to succeed in his own power or his own strength. And Moses was trying to do God's work but he was trying to do it in his own strength. And any time you try to do that, somebody's going to get hurt. In this case, the Egyptian uh, was killed. And uh, I think if, uh, if we're honest, those of us who've been in ministry a little bit, if you think about some of the moments in your ministry, you might think about some moments where maybe you didn't commit ministry manslaughter, but you might have committed ministry malpractice a little bit. Uh, maybe you didn't exactly know how to handle the situation, and technically nobody died, but... If you had a chance to do it again, you might do it a little differently. Anybody say amen to that? That's, that's genuinely what happens in our lives because uh, we don't always know how to do this thing. And that's why we need training. That's why we need mentors. That's why we need pastors. And if you're a pastor, you need a pastor in your life, don't you? We all need some voice, somebody to, to tell us, look, you're, getting, you're getting, uh, going about this the wrong way. And Moses didn't have that. So he failed and he runs into the wilderness. And he was 40 years old when this happened. So now he's 40 years later in the wilderness. And we read in the passage there that God is about to call him into the ministry. So what Exodus chapter 3 tells me about God is that God doesn't waste anything in our life. 
Listen, I don't care if you have failed, if you have, uh, if you've, if you have blown it at some point in your life, your past does not determine God's ability to use you in the future. And you can be used by God, and he'll use those things that broke you one day to help mend somebody else. Say mend somebody. We serve a God who can turn our, our mess up into a blessing for somebody else. And he'll waste nothing out of your life. You say, well, I have a past. God won't waste your past. God won't waste your brokenness. God won't waste your testimony. God won't waste your gifts. God won't waste your abilities. And God won't waste your life. God will use your life if you'll give it to him wholesale. When I graduated from college, I had a degree in uh, a double major in political science and biblical studies. And a whole half of my professors wanted me to go in the ministry. And the other half wanted me to go into politics and go study law. And when I told the, the politics side that I was not going to study law, one of them said to me, he said, the best ones always waste it. And uh, I've thought about that over the years. And I've realized that when you, get, when you go and do what God has called you to do, God won't waste your life. God won't waste a single moment of your life. Even maybe right now you're sitting in a place where you feel like, I'm not doing anything. I don't feel like I'm, I'm succeeding at all in my calling or my purpose. You just hang on. God's training you right now. Whatever the training is that he's putting you through, hang in there. Finish the course because the day is going to come when God's going to call you up and call you out. And so Moses finds himself in this place of failure, and yet he's about to have a life-changing encounter with God. I want you to notice a few things about the text. First of all, we notice in verse 1, it says that Moses was pastoring the flock of Jethro. Say Jethro. You guys remember Jethro from the hillbillies, right? The Beverly Hillbillies. Well, this is the original Jethro. Jethro was a rich man who had a, a wonderful flock. But what amazes me and has always amazed me about the text is that Moses is 80 years old now. He's been doing this for 40 years, and he still doesn't have his own sheep. There's still someone else's sheep. And I used to make fun of Moses for that. I used to think, come on, you're 80 years old. You still don't have your own stuff? You're still living with your mama? That's kind of a little bit too much. And then I started to realize that really Moses is a type. He's a type of all of us. Because the fact is that none of us have our own sheep. All of us are feeding someone else's sheep. Say amen, somebody. Whether you're a pastor or a church leader or whether you are a Sunday school teacher or a greeter, whatever it is you do for God and whatever it is you do in your, in your world of ministry, you are tending somebody else's sheep. And that's ultimately the, the key word in this theme this morning. When Jesus says, feed my sheep, he doesn't tell Peter, feed your sheep, tend your flock. Uh, feed your lambs. He says, these are my sheep. These are my, uh, this is my flock. These are my lambs. And so Moses might have thought, when am I going to have my own? When am I going to have my own stuff? And maybe this morning you might have felt that way sometimes as well, thinking, when am I going to have my own? I'm 30 years old. I still don't have my church. Or I'm, I'm 40 years old. I still don't have a congregation. Or I'm, I'm already been, I've been serving a long time. They still haven't given me a title. Don't worry about any of that, all right? You just let God use you in the place where you are. And, and when you do that, when you're faithful to God in those places, the Bible said promotion comes from the Lord. 
But the greater principle in this is the fact that you'll never be having your own. Anytime a minister, a man, sets out to build his own kingdom, it's going to fail. We are tending the flock of God. The Bible says to tend the flock of God, whereof you have been made an overseer. We read in another place where the scripture tells us uh, to recognize this, that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And so when we talk about feed my sheep, we're talking about the fact that whether you are a pastor or whether you're an elder in the church or a deacon or an usher or a greeter or a Sunday school teacher or a worship leader, a song leader, whatever it is you do, you are handling someone else's sheep. You're handling the flock of God. And there are two uh, important parts of that. First of all, it's an incredible privilege to be a sheep handler. Say amen, somebody. The ministry is a privilege. It's so much of a privilege that everybody wants into it. You know, I hear people say, Lord, use me. And that's kind of how we, uh, we are because we see the glory of ministry. Then once you get into ministry, people say, Lord, I feel so used. <laughs> but because on the outside, it just, it's, it's a privilege, extraordinary thing to be able to be a part of what God's doing in the world. And, and I just want to remind you of that this morning in case the, 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 the sheep work has become dirty and stinky. I don't have a sense of smell, but I have heard that sheep stink. And so maybe the sheep work that you do has become monotonous and dirty and stinky. And you think, why am I even doing this? Just remember that this work is God's work that he's sharing with you. And he has given us the privilege of coming in and being a part of his work in his world and for me that is an extraordinary thing it is a, an incredible privilege when God sets his hand upon a person and says I'm going to use you to touch my flock to feed my flock to encourage my flock to build up my flock so it's a privilege but it's also an incredible stewardship it's a it's a responsibility that we have before God to steward the resources of 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 his flock. You know, stewardship means to handle someone else's stuff. That's basically what stewardship is. And so when we are talking about feed my sheep, we understand there's a stewardship here. And the Bible said that someday the chief shepherd's going to come back. How many of you are waiting for that? I'm waiting for Jesus to come back. But, you know, when the chief shepherd comes back, he's going to want an accounting of how we handled his flock. And so there is a privilege, but there's also an incredible weight of responsibility that goes with this work. And the weight is not heavy as soon as you realize it's not my sheep. It's not my flock. This is God's flock. These are God's sheep. Now, I want to drive home this point that all of ministry is handling sheep. If, if you are teaching children in children's church, you're feeding sheep. And in fact, when Jesus spoke to Peter, he said, the, he said the line three times, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. In fact, the first time he said, feed my lambs. And that word in the Greek literally implies Jesus said, feed my little lambs. He's talking about the tender new convert, the new believer, and the child in faith. And, and they have a special place in the heart of God, a special place in in the heart of Christ, that he says to Peter, as a point of priority, feed my little lambs. Make sure that the children 
get fed. And so I want to encourage you, if you have a children's ministry and a new believer's ministry, I, either of these are, are under this uh, umbrella of Feed My Lambs. Make sure that you don't just entertain the kids in children's church. Make sure you're just not letting them watch uh, a film or a movie and, and mindlessly spend time while their parents are doing church thing. Make sure they're fed. Because that soul is, is, uh, is so important to God. He wants it well fed. You know, when I was growing up, my father was, uh, was Pentecostal, and we were not allowed to have a television. Uh, when I was about 13, we had a television in our house for the first time, all right? So it would seem like that was the worst possible life a kid could have, but I realize now that was a blessing. What I did learn to do is I learned to watch the radio. And uh, so to this day, I can, I can watch a movie without watching it. I just listen. Well, one of the things I would do was every evening they had a, a, a radio program called Adventures in Odyssey. Anybody know Adventures in Odyssey? So that was my, that was my date with uh, Adventures in Odyssey every night at 7.30. But I didn't want to miss it, so I would tune in at 7, and at 7 on the radio was J. Vernon McGee. Anybody heard of J. Vernon McGee? J. Vernon McGee, to my shock and horror, was dead before I even learned to listen to him. And so they were just replaying his teaching, but he would go through the whole Bible in five years. And I went through the Bible with J. Vernon McGee twice. Now I want you to think about that because I was six, seven, eight, nine, and so on. And I'm going through the Bible as a, as a little lamb hearing the word of God. And so I had a seminary education before I even got out of high school. Because somebody was feeding the lambs. So don't ever discount what your ministry is. If you're dealing with children or you're dealing with a new believer, that soul is so precious to Christ. And he says, feed my little lambs. Make sure that soul is well fed. And then, and, and then we understand what Jesus is saying when he says, feed my sheep. He's talking about feed the mature flock as well. And then another variation on the phrase, he says, govern my sheep. He's talking about the, the responsibility of governing the flock of God. All of this goes into sheep feeding. And so I mentioned the teachers, but let me mention the worship ministry because you realize that worship ministry is also feeding sheep. When you decide what songs you're going to sing in church, you're feeding the sheep. And you can't just choose the songs that you like or the songs that that uh, you think are cool. You have to find the food that the sheep can feast on. Uh, because if you, if you get truncated into your style, if, I, if we did my style at church, we would have hymnals and uh, a pipe organ, all right? That's, that's my style. But that's not what people feast on, all right? Uh, at least not at Kingsway. And uh, those who do feast on that, great. I think when I retire, I'm going to go to a Presbyterian church. Uh, so I can just sing the hymns. But, you know, if, if you just get truncated and this is how we're going to do it because this is how our, how, how our leader wants to do it and you're not thinking about the flock, you've got to think about we're feeding the sheep here. What's bringing them into the presence of God? What's leading them into worship? And, you know, there are a lot of songs that are real popular, but they don't feed anybody. And so you've got to be selective. You've got to be led by the Spirit. Even in the song selection, if you are a greeter in your church, if you're welcoming people, or maybe you're not a greeter, but you're a, a person sitting in the pew, guess what? You're a greeter. Every time someone new walks in, you have a, a privilege and opportunity to welcome them in the house of God. Guess what you're doing? You're feeding sheep too. 
You're touching the flock. You, you are ministering to the flock. And so all along the line, you're going to be uh, finding yourself dealing with sheep. Even if you don't have a, a, a role in, in engaging with people, all the work we do for God under the umbrella of ministry is handling sheep. And it is, other, it is another man's sheep. These are God's sheep. The Bible says that he purchased with his own blood. Jesus purchased the flock with his own blood. And Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. He didn't say, I will build Isaac's church. He said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The, the church that Jesus is building can't be stopped. Say amen, somebody. And it's, it's a beautiful picture. I forget who said it, but the church is really a sheep being led by a lion. You can have lions led by sheep. They're not going to get anywhere. But you get a bunch of sheep being led by a lion, and that, that herd is powerful. That's the church of Jesus Christ. We're a flock being led by the lion of the tribe of Judah, and he's leading us onward to victory. Come on, somebody. He's leading us to triumph in his name. So uh, this morning, I want to just lay out a few things. First of all, God's people love to eat. Say amen. All right, I know that you, uh, you know this is true. All right, you don't even have to write this one down. This is self-evident. God's people love to eat. Uh, after this morning session, guess what we're going to do? We're going to eat. That's what we do. I went to a church conference once, and I told the staff, I said, you know, I'm noticing some around here. They have a skinny culture around here. Everybody on the stage was skinny. I thought, well, praise the Lord for that. You know. I said, you know, what kind of culture do we have? I said, I think we have a fellowship culture. We, we like to eat. And I said, anybody here know what I'm talking about, fellowship culture? Well, you know, God's people love to eat. You know why? Because Jesus said this, and I'm not talking about spiritual food, a physical food. I'm talking about spiritual food. Jesus said this. He said that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they will be filled. You realize that when Jesus tells you to feed the sheep, to feed the flock, he's not giving you an unfunded mandate. He's telling you, you can feed the flock because I have given a promise that when my people are hungry, I will satisfy the hunger of my people. Is there anybody here that came in hungry this morning? Guess what? God says, I will satisfy your hunger if you hunger and thirst for righteousness. And so God's people are a hungry people. Spurgeon put it like this. He said, God's people are, a hung, are the hungriest people in the world. They never seem to get enough. They eat and eat and eat. So God's people are hungering and craving people. You know, there's nothing worse for a preacher to be in front of people who aren't hungry. You know, when a preacher gets in front of hungry people, they just pull the word right out of them. But when you get in front of people that are, that are not hungry, uh, it's hard to preach. It's like, it's like giving someone another plate of food once they're, once they're full. Uh, but when you get a congregation in front of you that is hungry for God, and when you, when you have cultivated in, in people a craving for God, God says, I'm going to meet them with the anointing in order to satisfy the hunger of their life. And they're going to eat and eat. And the Word of God is going to produce spiritual growth in that man or that woman. So blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Look at what Isaiah chapter 55 verse 1 and 2 says. It says that though, uh, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters 
without money and without cost. Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. God has set a, a feast before the church. You know, I, I wonder at people who say, I just don't know what to teach. Open the Bible, friends. The word of God is a feast. It is a spiritual feast. It is manna for a hungry world. And God says, come buy and eat without money and without cost. So God's people love to eat because it's the only way they can grow spiritually. It's impossible to grow spiritually without the word of God. Listen, it's an absolute principle. It's impossible to grow spiritually without the word of God. God has made us creatures of the word. We were created by the word. You remember in Genesis, God created the world with his word. And you and I are born again by the word of God and sealed with the Holy Spirit. The, the word of God comes into our heart by the power of the Spirit and creates a conversion and transformation. And so if we were created by the word and we we're born again by the word, we exist by the word of God. We exist by the powerful uh, word that is given to us in the scriptures. And so a, a church that is growing and maturing in Christ is a church that is fed on the word. Not only do God's people uh, love to eat, but God's people need to eat. I, as I've mentioned, God's people grow on the word. But you realize there's a famine in our land. The, the prophet Amos, he said, there's a famine in the land, not for bread or for water, but a famine for the word of God. That's Amos chapter 8, verse 11. You realize there's a famine in America today. When, when you see our culture going in the direction that it's going. And, and we, can, we can scream at the darkness all day long if we want. But God has really given us a, a solution. He's given us an answer. It's preach the word. Because it's the word of God that is able to turn the hearts of a culture back toward God. It's the word of God aflame on the mouth of God's people that can bring a, a nation that has forgotten God back to God. There's a famine in our land, but the word of God can break the famine. You realize that the widow of Zarephath would have died along with her son, except that the word of God came to her by the mouth of the prophet Elijah. That's the power God has given to you as a minister and servant of the word. He's given you the power to speak words that can end the famine in somebody's life. Maybe you've come this, this, uh, to this conference with a spiritual famine going on in your life. You've looked around, there's dryness and drought. Can I tell you, the famine is over. If you'll just feast on the word of God, that famine will come to an end. And you can have a refreshed life. Last night, the famine ended for some of you. And tonight, today, God's going to end the famine for somebody else. Every time you bring the word of God, it has a potential to bring uh, life and to restore life. But, you know, I want to be specific about what the famine is regarding what I think it is in America. I think the famine it has happened because uh, maybe a hundred or, or so years ago, the enemy succeeded at doing something in the church. The enemy succeeded at separating the word from the spirit in the church. And so we had a collection of churches who were all about the spirit. And I grew up in those churches, and many of you did too. And uh, it, when the church I grew up in, we had a whole lot of spirit. Didn't know much word, but we had a whole lot of spirit. And then the enemy managed to separate the other group, and that's the word group. And they know the Bible, and they know the word, but they don't have the power of the spirit working because they've shut off that valve. 
And so there's a famine in our land because the enemy has managed to separate the two most powerful forces in the world. But I believe this morning that at this, at this very moment, God is bringing into America a, a shift that's taking place. And God is building up a church with the power of the Spirit and the power of the Word. Where God is bringing in a church that knows the Word, but it also knows the power of the Spirit. You see, listen, if you have the power of the Spirit without the Word, you end up in error. If you have the Word without the power of the Spirit, you end up dry. But when you have the combined force of the Spirit of God and the Word of God, there's life there. Say amen, somebody. There's power there. And God wants to bring to the church and is bringing to the church anybody that will receive that. God says, I'll give you my Word and I'll give you the power of my Spirit, the anointing that breaks yokes, that anointing that destroys the powers of darkness and that Word and that Spirit combination is what is able to transform and uh, change the direction of our nation as we have seen in the past and God will do it again. Not only do we need the word because of its power to end the famine, but we need the word because our people and our churches cannot live up to their potential or their purpose unless they have the word of God. Listen, I know that uh, some, some churches don't like to talk about purpose. They don't like to talk about potential. And I, I understand uh, some of that, but you have to understand this. God has a calling on those people's life. God has a purpose for those people's life. They may not all be preachers. Some of them may be lawyers and doctors and bankers and coaches and uh, housewives. But whatever they are doing, they need the word of God to be able to fulfill the purpose of God on their life. And when you get the word of God fed into, into the whole of the body and you start to see people functioning in, in government and you start to see people functioning in the community and in the school boards because of the word that they're feeding on, now that flock becomes an incredible influence in the community. It, comes, it becomes an incredible force uh, for the glory of God in its world. We see that we also need the word because it protects us. It protects the flock against the savage wolves. The apostle Paul said in Acts chapter uh, 20, he said, Savage woods, uh, wolves will come and will not spare the flock. So I commend you to the word. Listen to what Paul says. He says the wolves are going to come. They're going to try to scatter the flock. So what is the solution? Teach them the word. Give them the powerful word of God which is able to be a defense to them in the day of the enemy's attack. And I think God has a simple instruction for us this morning, and that is to feed his sheep and to do so generously. Say generously. You know God's economy functions on give. Everything that moves in the economy of God moves on give. If you know something that you won't give away, you're not operating in the economy of God. So feed my sheep means if I know something and you ask me, I sit down with you and teach you what I know so that you can go and do what I'm doing. And if you know something that I need to know, that I can go and talk to you and you can tell me, look, this is how it's done. And, and when the church operates in that way, it starts to see walls and barriers come down. You know, we can't, we can't operate in a system where it's like, no, this is our little secret. This is our little strategy. We don't want anybody else to know it. We don't want anybody else to have it. We don't want anybody else to do it. No, this is God's flock. This is God's kingdom. 
And, and you and I have to be generous with the work uh, and the word of God and the, the things we've learned. If, if something works, give it away. Share it with somebody else. Uh, and when, when you and I do that, we're operating in the economy of God. Look at what Isaiah chapter 32, verse 1 and 2 says. If, if you would, go there with me because I want you to see these things. Uh, the Lord has really burdened my heart with this. Uh, Isaiah chapter uh, 32, verse 1 and 2. Woe to those, where am I? This is chapter 32, uh, verse 1, pardon me. Behold, the king will reign righteously and princes will rule justly. Each will be like a refuge from the wind and a shelter from the storm, like streams of water in a dry country and like shade of a huge rock in a parched land. Look, now, I want you to notice something. Verse 1 and verse 2 have a different subject. Verse 1 is talking about King Jesus. It says that the king will reign righteously and the prince will rule justly. But verse 2 is not talking about King Jesus. It's talking about his servants, talking about us. And this is what God wants for every one of your ministries to be. He wants our ministries. He wants Kingsway Church and all the churches in here represented. He wants our churches and our ministries to be like a refuge from the wind. A place where people can go and hide from the winds of life. And a shelter from the storm. You know, storms happen. And God wants our, our life as believers to be a shelter for somebody. And then he says that we will be streams of water in a dry country. And that we will be a shade of a huge rock in a dry and a weary land. That's, that's God's vision for the church. That's what, what when, you, when you and I do that, we are feeding the flock. We're tending to the flock. But look at verse 8. It says, a noble man devises noble plans. And by noble plans he stands. Another translation says, a generous man devises generosities. And by generosity he stands. You see, the economy of God is give. When you, when you and I plan to give and, and churches give to the community and, and we, we don't just keep all of our resources and all of our knowledge to ourselves, but we share that. We expose that to anybody and everybody that we can. We are participating in the economy that God has for the church. And then the result of that is in Isaiah chapter 54. If you'll go there, Isaiah 54. Verse 1 through 3. Listen to what uh, the Lord says here. This is an instruction for us this morning. Isaiah 54, uh, verse, uh, verse 2, uh, verse 1 is talking about the barren woman. It's talking about uh, the nation of Israel who could bear no sons. And then verse 2 says this. It says, enlarge or expand the place of your tent. Stretch out the curtain of your dwelling. Listen, key word here, spare not. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your pegs, for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your descendants will possess nations and will resettle the, de the desolate cities. I want you to say this with me. Spare not. You see God's instruction there? He says if you are a, a, uh, a sheep feeder who's generous, if you take good care of being generous to the flock of God, and generous to the people around you. God says, you'll be able to enlarge the place of your tent. I'll send you growth. 
and the barren woman will need to build a nursery in her tent. Come on, somebody. That, that church that couldn't have any children will all of a sudden start having growing pains and, and growing problems. And, and that, that ministry that couldn't get anywhere starts to find that it starts to expand as, as they are, allow themselves to be a conduit for God to use to bless somebody else. And that word there is so key, spare not. It means don't hold back. Don't limit what God can do in your life or your ministry. God's got a word for you this morning. It's spare not. Uh, don't, don't put a boundary or a limit on what God can do for you or for the people that he has called you to serve. Remember what the prodigal said. He said, in my father's house, there is food enough and to spare. You know, when you and I realize that our father's house is a place of abundance, it's a place of plenty. In fact, the word Jethro means abundance. Moses was pastoring the flock of an abundant shepherd. Do you realize this morning that your God does no limitations? The God who called you into service and into ministry is a God of abundance. So let's make some big plans for God. Let's make some plans that scare us when we think about them. Some plans that say, wait a minute, I don't know if I can. And we, we can't, but Jesus has called us to do great things. And God will and God can in us. Amen, somebody, if you believe that. Now, this is the kind of shepherd that God has called Moses to be. And you're going to see that in, Gen in Exodus 3, he's pasturing sheep. But in a few chapters, he'll be pasturing people. Lots of people. In order to be able to go there, something else has to happen. First of all, we saw that he was pastoring someone else's flock. But then we read that he took them to the west side of the, of the wilderness. He took them to the west side of Mount Oreb. You realize that Moses was not leading his people to himself. He was leading his people to God. That's our goal, to lead people to God. And you guys do it so well. When you preach, when you teach, and you point to Christ, you're doing the work of a, of a sheep handler. You're saying, look, I'm not the food. I'm not the big, the big guy on campus. I don't know all the answers. I don't have all the solutions. But I can take you to somebody who does. I can take you to a God who has all the answers, a God who can meet your need. And Moses led them to the, to the mountain of God. But listen. The Bible says that he led them to the west side. Now, if you study the book of Genesis, you'll discover that anytime somebody's moving west, they're moving into the, into the will of God. And anytime somebody's moving east, they're moving out of the will of God. Adam and Eve were put out of the garden on the east side. And Abraham was called from the east into the west. So he was called into God's purpose. When Jacob got into trouble, he went east. And then when he, when he came back 21 years later, he moved back west. So God's presence dwells in the west. And that's what uh, the Holy Spirit is letting us know here, is that Moses was leading the flock to the presence of God. You see, our number one priority as, as ministers of the word and as, as people who handle sheep is to help people get into the presence of God. Because in the presence of God, their needs get, their needs get met. Listen, I can't guarantee that my sermon is going to meet everybody's needs. Nobody can do that. But the presence of God can meet everybody's needs. And when you and I lead people into the presence of God, all their needs get met. 
And, and the, the Holy Spirit makes it, makes it possible for everybody's needs to get met. But you realize something very interesting happens here. Is that now uh, the Bible tells us that Moses has to separate from the flock a little bit. And he goes on to see this sight that he saw. He saw the, the angel of the Lord in a burning bush. Listen, guys. If you're going to handle sheep, you're going to have to have an encounter with God. Moses went because he saw this bush that was burning that was not burned up. And at, at that point, I imagine he just forgot all about the sheep for a moment. And he went to, to study this bush that was on fire. Now listen, the, the bush was the angel of the Lord. And when you read the Old Testament, you discover that's Christ. His pre-incarnate appearance in the Old Testament. And here he is standing in the midst of this bush. And, and Moses, the shepherd, is now gazing on the good shepherd. He's now getting a glimpse of the glorious son of God. And it's a beautiful picture. Because here you have this bush that many scholars believe is a thorn bush. Remember, the thorn bush was a, a symbol of the curse. It was God's mark to the land that it was cursed. He said in Genesis, the land will be cur cursed and thorns will come up out of the land. So you have this thorn bush. And in the thorn bush is the presence of the Son of God. The fire of the Spirit in that thorn bush made a dead, cursed bush into a burning bush. It made it into a messenger and a, a holder of the presence of God. And now Moses was intrigued. And listen, guys, the most effective uh, me, uh, the, the most effective shepherds and the most effective uh, feeders of sheep are those who have a secret place with God, who have a place where they feed on Christ. You see, if you and I feed on Christ, we can then feed somebody else. But if we don't feed on Christ, we're going to be an anemic bunch trying to meet the needs of people in our own power. Moses discovered this early on, that he had to meet with God. And that secret place is what Moses is talking about. Most likely he wrote Psalm 91 when he writes and he says, He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And I will say of the Lord, He is my shield and my buckler, my God, in whom I trust. Moses had found a place where he could go to get refreshed and restored and rejuvenated because as soon as he walked out of that experience he was going to have to deal with the flock and just a few uh, months later he was going to bring the nation of Israel out of Egyptian bondage and he was bringing them to Mount Oreb he was bringing them to his own place of encounter with God because he wanted them to know the God that he knew to experience the God that he knew he wanted them to have a secret place too and from time to time when things would get real hot for Moses, you know, they'd get real hot. Sometimes they wanted to stone him. I haven't had that kind of ministry so far, praise the Lord. But sometimes uh, they say the sheep bite, and um, sometimes they want to stone you. But Moses, whenever he got into a hot spot like that, he just retreated into the secret place. He retreated into the presence of God. You know, when you fly in an airplane, they uh, tell you, you know, if the cabin loses pressure, a mask will fall out of the ceiling. And then they tell you, if you are near a child or someone in need of assistance, put on your mask first. And then, 
help somebody out. If you are running out of oxygen, you can't help somebody else. You've got to be breathing the rarefied air of the presence of God. Because when you are breathing from that limitless supply, now you can help Susie and you can help Johnny and you can do the work that God has called you to do. But if you're trying to do it on your own power, you're going you're to commit ministry manslaughter. You've got to put some, put, put some time in your life when you meet with God, when you have an encounter with God and you breathe in the air of heaven. You say, God, the sheep will be all right for a moment. But I've got to meet with you. I've got to hear what you want to say. What you want me to do. You give me direction. You give me instructions. The only board meeting that really matters, guys, is the board meeting between you and God. That's the board meeting that matters. Because when a man or woman can go into a board meeting already knowing what God is leading them to do, there's an ease and an anointing that comes to it. But when somebody walks in and says, what does everybody want to do this year? That, that ship ain't going to float. That play, that's not going to achieve anything. But when you have heard from God, and then you're saying, Lord, let, the, let me hear this, but let the elders hear it too. And let the staff hear it too. And let the, 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 uh, the congregation hear it too. And everybody's in tune because they have a secret place, a place of dwelling, a place of communion with God. It's in that place where Moses gets his commission and God says, Moses, I have seen the affliction of my people. I have heard their cries. And I have come down to deliver them. He was saying, Moses, you're going to be my man. You're going to be the vessel through whom I am going to move. Can I tell you this morning, God is saying to you, I have seen the affliction of my people I have heard their cry, and I have come down this morning to impart to you an anointing and a power so that you can do the thing that I have called you to do and do it in the power and strength of the Lord where you won't wear out, where you won't burn out, but you'll have the grace of God operating in your life to bring the nation out of Egyptian bondage into freedom and grace and a land flowing with milk and honey. That's God's purpose for your life. Would you stand with me for just a moment and just respond to this word in your heart? Just in a moment of prayer, just, just respond to whatever it is God has said to you this morning. <coughs> just give him an opportunity to seal the deal in your heart. Just make that commitment. Say, Lord, I want to feed your sheep, but I need you to feed me. I need you to empower me this morning. I want to be effective. I don't just want to be present, but I want to be effective. I want the anointing to flow through my life and my ministry. Father, we receive this word this morning. We receive the shift that you are sending to, to the church where there will be a combination of the power of the Spirit and the power of the Word. We receive, oh God, that invitation which you are giving us to come into the secret place. To get into a place of meeting and communion with God. And Lord, if we have, if we've been in that place, we just pray for richer revelation, richer insight. And Lord, if we've neglected that place this morning, we say no more. You will be the priority of our ministry. 
You will be the priority of our life. We need the oxygen of heaven flowing because there's a world dying and in need of God. Lord, this is our prayer this morning. This is our conviction that everyone who's hungry will be satisfied. And we're so blessed at the thought that you're going to use us to bring your word to a world in need of the word.